Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and here we are with the most recent episode of our podcast. This one's for world history, and this is about China and the West. I'm not going to sit around and waste much time with this because there's a lot of information we have to get through. So as imperialism is going on throughout world or throughout the world, China kind of becomes this big question mark because people are trading with China a lot, and they're not taking a lot from everything. It's a very large country. They have a lot of things to go on. So the West is trying to find its way in there, and the first opportunity they get to go in there is when the British are going to start selling something called opium in Chinese tea. Opium is a drug. It is a deadly and super addictive drug, and basically the China – you know, the Chinese government says, no, we can't have opium in here. This drug is hurting our people and it's terrible for us. So the British were so upset about it because they were getting so much money off this opium that they literally went to war with them and they fought a war. And China isn't as militarily powerful as the as the British are and they get destroyed in this war. And because they get destroyed, there's going to be a treaty that comes later. And it's called the Treaty of Nanking, and it is a series of unequal treaties. And basically what these treaties do is that the first thing is that Britain is going to receive basically payment for the losses of the war. Again, not promising to the Chinese. The British also gain an island today. It's called Hong Kong. They've recently gave that back to China. China has to open five of its ports to uh, foreign trade. And they also have to give British citizens something called extra, extra territoriality. And what that means is that they have the right to execute their own laws. And if they violate a law in China, they must get sent to Britain to be tried in their own courts, which obviously never actually happened. If it also gave Britain something called the most favored nation clause, which is basically if China gives any agreement to anybody else that is better than the one Britain has, Britain gets the same treatments. Obviously, the people in China are upset, and they try numerous rebellions throughout this. The biggest one is going to be known as the Taiping Rebellion. It's going to last for 14 years with its leader, Hong Zhuang, and he wanted land reform. He wanted community ownership of property. He wanted equality of women. He wanted kind of these modern-day thinking ideas that went along with it, and this you know, like I said, it lasted for 14 years. 20 million Chinese were estimated to be a, were estimated to have died in the killing. However, the Shang government survives, and it keeps. It does have to start sharing its power a little bit with the regions, but for the most part, they they have survived. So after they survive this, there is some reform efforts that are going to have to go in here. So they start pushing for a stronger China. They start developing their own shipyards and their own railroads and their own mining and light industry. They're going to take Western ideas of science and government and the economy. They're going to start pushing these through all the ideas. Well, next thing you know, there's this little island off to the side of China that is developed extremely quickly, and that's Japan. And as they developed extremely quickly, they didn't get developed until 1868, and they really kind of pushed through and are just killing it in the industrialization game. And they try to invade China. Now, they are pretty successful in this invasion of China, and China loses to this little country. And when they lose to this country, 
the, the territories of Korea and Taiwan are going to become Japanese. And it was the first time that you could see just such a significant difference between the way China is still trying to live a traditional lifestyle and the way Japan has adopted and accepted all the other ways of thinking that I've taken. This is also going to be where the spheres of influence are going to be set up in China, where they basically broke the country up and said, all right, this is where France is going to trade. This is where Britain is going to trade. This is where Germany is going to trade and Russia. And they have this technical territory that they're going to be using. The United States kind of stays out, stays out of it. And then the United States comes in and says, no, this is what you're going to do. You're going to have an open door policy for all people and they can come in and they can trade and work within this system as you want. The United States came in and told China, this is how you're going to run your nation. This was not something that they all sat around and discussed. China had no set. Again, China tries to respond by reforming and getting its people better. A young emperor named Guangzhou is going to launch 100 days of reform with new laws, modernize civil service exam, streamline the government, encourage new industries, reform affected schools, reform the military, reform the bureaucracy. And they fought against him. And they fought against him again, and he gets imprisoned. And as he gets imprisoned and new people take over, again, there's more revolution. People are sick of the British coming in and doing what they want. And as they're sick of it, they really started to practice how to defend against these nations and these people. And there's something called the Boxer Uprising and the Boxer Rebellion. And the Boxer Rebellion it leads to these Chinese going out and killing as many British as they can because they wanted to get rid of them. And at first, like, it was working for them, but all the foreign nations came together and quickly put down the uprising. Now, there were severe consequences to this. This is basically the point where we say, all right, listen, we got to westernize our nation. We got to become, we got to become like them. We need to worry about, you know, different types of reforms. We need to get women into schools. We need to stress science and math instead of our old school thinking. Uh, we need to send students overseas so they can come back and bring this. We're going to expand economically. We're going to bring mining and shipping and railroads and banking and cash crops. We're going to sell those all throughout the world now. We're going to bring in foreign money so that we can really make this work. And this is the end, basically, of the, of the Qin Dynasty. Because as they start these reforms, more and more people thought, saw that they were doing it backwards. And when you get an emperor who steps in, who was only two years old, that's when China slips into chaos. And as the uprisings quickly spread throughout the peasants, the students, the warlords, the politicians, they are finally going to end a 2000 year old dynasty, a 2000 year old monarchy in China. And Sun Jiang, in 1912 is going to be sworn in as the first president of the Chinese Republic. It wasn't easy. They pushed hard and they had to do a lot of fighting to get to where they were, but they had finally made it. They were finally their own entity. On that note, everybody have a great rest of your day. I will talk to everybody soon.